You are listening to WERA 96.7 FM, Arlington, Virginia. This is your girl Yazzie Speaks on another episode of Millennial Minds. This evening, we have Mr. Jose Oriana Alfaro. Uh, He is a college student and filmmaker. Hi, Jose. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. Um, So tell us, tell us who you are and and, and tell us your background and what you're doing now. Um, I'm Jose, as Yasmin introduced me. Uh, I just started college a month ago at Nova. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Um, I'm a filmmaker, a film major. I'm 19. I was born and raised in Guatemala, and uh, I came to the U.S. when I was six, seven years old around that time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And did you? Where did you all move when you came here? Did you come to DC? Arlington? To Arlington? Yes, I've been here like all my life. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're at Nova. Yeah, Nova. Which is tell people who that what what the school is for those who don't. Oh, know. Nova is um actually the second biggest community college in the nation, which is I think it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, they actually just kicked off their cinema degree this year, so I'm like part of the first batch of the whole cinema degree that that's they're giving exciting out. yeah it is really exciting because like the dean came to greet us all and he was like we're excited to see your films oh my goodness that's amazing so jose tell us more about your film background well your how your interest in film you know where, where right develop where did you get your interest and passion for uh filmmaking and storytelling It started pretty, like, nonchalant. I feel like I'm using that word right. Maybe I'm not. (laughs) Maybe someone will get me. Uh, um, (laughs) It started because um, I'd get home from school. I'd walk walk home from school at a very early age, and I'd be home alone for a long time just because, like, babysitters were expensive. But I was, like, responsible enough to take care of myself and all that. Are you the only child? Do you have siblings? My sister is five. Okay. So, yeah, so she was just born, like, five years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. But um, when I was younger, my mom would work a lot, and so I'd always be home alone, and I, I procrastinated a lot, so I didn't really like to do my homework, so I would just <laughs> I would just watch a lot of TV, and then it turned into watching a lot of movies, and I didn't realize that it was something that, I guess, became a passion, mm-hmm. but I started watching, like, foreign films from, like, all these different countries and then i started telling people about them it's like oh my god that serbian movie i just you guys you have to see it and they're like um what are you talking about yeah and i was like maybe i should do something with this yeah so that's where it started wow that's so cool it just started with you watching movies yeah so you had a sort of like a fascination yeah it was just it was cool like in in all the aspects of it like everything from a cartoon to like a, a feature length film or just like a talk show like the whole um creativity and like the whole creativity and message behind it was interesting but then i started thinking about like the collaboration that had to go into it um i'd always stick around for the credits at the end of shows and movies mm. and i would watch until the very end and i was like this is fun and i'd like look at all the names like best boy and like electric grip and like director producer and i was like oh that's cool and be like isn't that isn't that cool guys and they'd be like no it's <laughs> not oh i always find it funny how quickly the credits go like how quickly they roll yeah. at the end of films typically yeah. 
and so you have produced a short film. Yes. Right. Um, about it's it's not simply about immigration, but yeah. Um, I, I'll just let you explain what what your documentary is about and what inspired you to produce it. And also it, it won an award. Yeah, it right? did. At a, at a film festival. At so, the Arlington Student Film Festival, yes. At the Arlington Student Film Festival. So tell us about your documentary, Jose. So uh, the film I made is called One in 5,000. Um, and it's a semi-autobiographical story. Um, the name is actually taken from a statistic. Uh, it's kind of outdated, but it's just because I couldn't find... Uh, a lot more newer resources on it, newer statistics. Um, but uh, it was a 2015 statistic saying that one, no, it was like 5,300 children in the year 2015 were displaced into foster care mm. uh, uh, because their parents were deported by ICE, which is Immigration Customs Enforcement, yes. a federal agency. And, um, you know, I just... Uh, like when I was growing up, like we were we were illegal at the time, and I just got my citizenship in 2017. And when you're growing up, oh wow, up, you just well, congratulations! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got it right in time before I before I became an adult, because then I would have had to get it myself. And it was a it was an 11 year process, like with my family, and it was a long long time. But um, yeah, the film is centered around um a boy who doesn't speak English too well, uh, can't really communicate well at school, and just wants to see his mom at the end of the day because she works a lot. And when he comes home, uh, she's just not there. And for me and a lot more immigrant children and a lot of children in public schools today, and uh, like they have that same anxiety and that same fear, and they're only six, seven years old. And I thought that on top of this human rights crisis that's happening in the nation, mm -hmm. there's also this mental health crisis that's happening just with our nation's children. Yeah, definitely. So tell us even more about that, um, because I don't really think in in the world that is North America, that is the United States of America, that is a land of, of a significant privilege, mm -hmm. um, just if you can elaborate more and paint us a picture. So you mentioned that a lot of young immigrant children or, or children whose parents have migrated to the United States who don't have citizenship. Yeah. Uh, there's this anxiety. Yes. Uh, they're oftentimes that they'll end up, they'll come home one day and yeah. their parents won't be there. And I'm wondering, and, and, and I saw in the documentary that a lot of, a lot of those youth end up in foster care or, or those they, who are documented, yeah. Oh, that's only for those who are documented. Yeah, the ones who are undocumented, uh, you'll see it a lot in the news now, but a lot of them will actually go to the detention holding centers that ICE oh, has. Oh, my goodness. That's a whole nother thing that we've got to talk about, too. But, yeah. but tell us, before we get to that horror story, what what is that like for a child and for a family and is that something that is discussed, you know, mm -hmm. is that something that parents talk yeah. to their children about? It's, um, it's actually pretty normalized. So in my situation, like me and my mom were both illegal at that point. 
And uh, even if like you're a child that's a citizen, if you have citizenship, uh, a lot of times, and it's very normalized because your family speaks about it, it's recognized that something that's hush-hush that you don't go talking about at school, you don't tell your friends. I remember my mom telling me not to tell friends where I lived, uh, what she did for work. And it's, uh, it's simply because ICE, Immigration Customs Enforcement, um, can do surprise raids at like restaurants, for example. What? Um, yeah, they like there's surprise raids that happened like in kitchens. I don't know where. And there's like a lot of like undocumented people who work mm. there. Or sometimes they'll, you, there's actually a tip line on their website that if you believe one of your neighbors or, you know, anybody, they'll send a couple vans over to that location. And mm. yeah, so basically, what happens a lot of times is that a lot of immigrant parents will sit down with their kids and they'll say, listen, if you ever come home one day and I'm not here and you don't have anywhere to go, this is a number to call. This is what you say about yourself. This is what you don't say about yourself. Um, I can't promise that I can get back in contact with you, mm. but I'll try my best. Because a lot of times like in those detention holding centers, it can take anywhere from days to months to deport somebody. And there's no like confirmation of like whether they'll get a call or this and that. And, you know, uh, this happens a lot. Like uh, one of the main characters actually from that show Orange is the New Black, mm -hmm. uh, Diana, I'm forgetting her name, but uh, she actually wrote a book and she talked about this, that she was leaving for school one day and... Um, she had gotten in a fight with her parents, I think, that morning. And as she was on her way to school, like, she said something felt wrong. And at that time, her parents still would have been home. Somebody would have been in the house. And she, she got on a pay phone, and she called the home phone, and nobody was picking up. So that was a warning sign for her. Mm -hmm. So she ran back home, and the door was open. The, the couch was, like, laying on the ground. Like, the, the plates of food were, like, still full of food. They were hot, but everybody was gone, you know? And she sat in her home for like hours, I think even days, just like waiting, waiting for somebody to help her until her neighbors came and they're like, what happened? And she was like, "They, I don't know, they were just taken. And she still to this day, her she doesn't have, con even though she's like this rich, like high profile celebrity, right. like she still doesn't have like constant contact with her family because they're, they're deported and Mm, I yeah. can this is just so it's a tragedy it to is. be ripped away from your family and not know where they are and not have access to them mm -hmm. um, so yes as you were mentioning these <laughs> they call them like detention centers yeah and and I've and I've visited one. I've been to one. Oh really? And yep, it wow. was in California. I don't. I can't remember what uh, city in in California it was. And of course, it was out somewhere. You know, San Bernardino by any mm -hmm. chance? No. Mm -mm. Okay. Yeah. No, it was a smaller. It was a smaller one. And I was just amazed. I couldn't believe the statistics. So uh, I, we partnered with. There's a group. <clears throat> there's a group that's based in California 
And it, it's like a nonprofit organization. Yeah. And they make detention center visits. They have some sort of clearance and they do that. And they speak to a lot of the um, detainees and talk to them and listen to their stories. And of course, they have people who do uh, speak diff- various languages and dialects to be able to communicate with them. Um, and sometimes they provide legal services, but they're basically just trying to hear their stories. And unfortunately, a lot of them are sexually abused while yeah. they're there. And I was yes. just hearing some of the stories about how, you know, the court system or whoever, once they're detained, they take all of their identification away mm-hmm. and there's no guarantee. You don't know how long you, before you'll be able to get in front of a, a, a judge and I just because there's also a lack of immigration judges available, and there are thousands and thousands of cases for them to hear, and you're there. They literally just sit there like the whole day. The judge is just like number one twenty eight, like next, next, saying who, like what's your, what what's gonna happen next? Like it's it's crazy. Mm, so tell us, you know, how do you, when did you learn about detention centers and how? you know what what speak to mm-hmm. <clears throat> this whole situation that we find ourselves in right now in the United States and i mean it, it's a huge issue but i just want you to just talk about what you know give give us some understanding some insight about the horrors of what detention centers are and why a person might end up there yeah and then um uh, what your thoughts are about what that means for the for an immigrant here in the United States. Yeah. Um, I didn't really learn about detention centers until I was a little older. Uh, like I said, I had the discussion with my mom pretty regularly about like, in case she was ever gone, like where to go, who to call, what to say. But I didn't really know what happened politically. You know, I, I, I just knew that she went away, she would go back to Guatemala, which mm-hmm. is where I'm from. Um, and as I got older, like I started questioning the anxiety more of like, you know, I'd, I'd be at school and I'd like go to the clinic and I'd say like, I can't, I can't breathe because like my chest would feel tight. And they'd say, what's wrong? It's like, I just want to call my mom. And they'd say, what do you want to call? It's like, I, I want to make sure that she's there. Mm-hmm. And like reflecting back upon that, like, there's this horrible anxiety that's developing in children. Um, but then as I got older, I started learning more about the political side of it. Of course, everybody, 2016, the whole Trump thing, like everybody got a lot more educated on immigration. And, mm-hmm. you know, whatever side you're on, like, you know more about it. But detention centers, whatever side of the political spectrum you're on, like, they're undoubtedly, like, in complete violation of human rights. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Regardless. Like, there are terrible pictures of actual children in, like, cages. In cages. And, like, they don't have beds. And, like, they're malnourished. And, God, I I saw this horrible story recently. And I hate to be so vague about it. But, like, because there's so many cases of this, like, one one of the detention center, like, officers, like, was sexually abusing these children and it turns out he was actually HIV positive and just like so many of those like little kids just like turned out to be HIV positive. Oh no, where did you read this story? 
just headline, but I mean, oh. there's not much like pandering you could do with that headline. That's that's, that's the facts right there. Man. You know, and the conditions of these and the way that people are being treated, I mean, immigrants like in these holding centers are being treated like animals mm-hmm. and like when we accept that as a society, it's it's really bad for us. Like whatever if you think that there should be like stricter walls or something, fine. But like if you're okay with children in literal jails being separated from their parents and then being assaulted and abused mm-hmm. by the government, like government employees that yeah, that like your taxes are paying for that. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's sick. That's inhumane. It's crazy. Yeah, that's it, it's uh. crazy. What what I dare to say, my position based off of what I've not only read and heard, but have seen mm-hmm. <clears throat> detention centers are simply another word for prisons. Yeah, it's a it's a prison. Yeah, it's a prison. And the way that I agree with you, the way that the children and the women and men who are detainees or they're they're housed in these detention centers are not treated well at yeah. all. Um, they they get assaulted a lot by the officers. Yeah. Um, and and it's bad enough because a lot of them don't speak English well or can't can't speak English at all. And so sometimes when they have papers and uh, uh, government documents that they need to fill out, they're unable to do so unless they have another individual, Mm -hmm. unless they are fortunate enough that there's another individual that's from, that they're from the same country. Because of lack of resources, if you can't do it, they say tough luck. Well, Mm -hmm. we're just going to deport you then, put you on the next plane. Yeah, Mm -hmm. which is just... It's just insane. And mm-hmm. I and I think that the detention centers and this whole era of, uh, you know, deporting, deporting people is a, in a, is an extension of the prison industrial complex in this country yeah. and uh, mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just the U.S. Ha- already has a history of slavery and already has a history, as you know, of incarcerating more people than any other country in the in the world. Yeah. Um, any other country or continent in the world. And now to add this aspect, it's just like while there are some while there are benefits to being an American or living in this country, mm-hmm. there's so many things that our government and people in power and wealthy people are allowing mm-hmm. that they're very full aware of. Yeah. That and nothing and, and a lot of people who are for, you know, like conservatives who are for, you know, deporting immigrants and, you know, get the legal immigrants out of here and saying crazy stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee that more than half of them probably have never they don't they have not a clue what's happening to people the separation of mothers from babies and children and the beating the physical abuse the sexual abuse and assault like it's just crazy because as far as political parties go like 
I see that a lot in America. There's there's a sense of like politics have kind of almost become like a competition to some people. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's been like, oh, the Republicans are winning now and now the Democrats are winning and this and that. But it's like when it comes down to it, like we need to think about the way that we're treating and speaking about and representing our humans. Like that's that's what matters. And, you know, if we can work together effectively to, you know, if you just care about human rights in general, it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democratic, like you you should just work together on that. And it shouldn't be some sort of like, oh, it's the Republicans fault or it's the Democrats fault, because at times like it's it's both faults as well. Um, Like uh, there's there's this sort of blame game sometimes happening that it just isn't constructive and like I could get criticized for that because in my film like I actually I actually uh I use Trump as one of the mm-hmm. one of the symbolisms in there um which I'm very uh very openly against um but he is kind of the face of that energy that energy and that attitude of of ignorance and and wanting to win you know, and not looking anymore at the humanity of things and more about winning and power and this and that. And, you know, when you look at it factually and historically, immigration started in the U.S. Uh, post, uh, uh, I think it was World War II, um, the, the nation was lacking in actual agriculture and workers. And because, uh, you know, so many returned from war, injured or a lot of people died. Um, and so they, they made a deal with Mexico and they said, okay, if you guys come here and you do farm work, then we'll offer you and your family visa. It was mm. supposed to be a temporary program. It's called the Bracero program. Mm-hmm. Um, it lasted like 16 years. And then, really, yeah. And then at the end of those 16 years is when politics, this is, this is when things started changing up. They were like, okay, now we have an immigration problem because there's, there's all these Latinos in California and Texas now. Like, what are we going to do with them? Um, and then so the whole deportation started. And the first mass deportation was rounding up those very workers that they promised in their families' visas. And it was just like miles of people standing in a line outside in the hot sun while they were still working, too, just waiting to get registered for deportation. Because if they didn't, then they would have like a warrant out for their arrest and their families and this and that. And it was just like, mm. the US brought people over, promised them this. And then the US is also implicit in destabilizing like the socioeconomic like states of a lot of Central American countries and some South American countries. You know, you, you cause these problems in those countries, you invite them over, you deport them, you you take land, you you make these, you call these your territories, this and that. But, you know, you can't even come to a resolution in terms of like fair immigration. It's just like get out. Like we have this, we have this nationally accepted rhetoric now of like, no, we have to kick all of them out. It's like, why? Why? Look at the history. Uh, so with your... Now being in college, being a college student and being a filmmaker and producer and visionary, do you see yourself continuing to speak to all of these things, you know, the current situation, the current political climate Mm -hmm. 
in your in your filmmaking? Yeah, um, I think that um, with filmmaking and any form of art, uh, there's always the chance to like inspire change, and I think that ultimately change is just rooted in empathy. Um, mm. There's a lot of there's a lot of people who have sympathy for problems um, and oppressed groups, but when you can make it so when you can make an empathetic connection, have people understand and place themselves in the perspective of an oppressed group or a character or an individual, that's when people can really understand and say, okay, we have to change this or we have to start this. Um, but in terms of the art, um, I just love making art in general like whether it's photography or video or sound or music or whatever I just I just love it and I think that now obviously we are in a very politically aware time and it's just another layer that we can add on to everything I just if if you want to make a film about something completely unrelated to politics you can still put something in there that -hmm. can inspire social change or something if you want to and that's what's so great about art. You can choose to do that or you can choose not to do that or whatever you want. Mm-hmm. It's just about having a message. And if that message is to help people or if it's to just have fun, it's great. Go for it. Mm, that's so awesome. That's so awesome. I definitely would love to see you, Jose, um, on. I don't know. I haven't seen too many talks about immigration. Yeah. Um, but I do. I'm sure that there will be more. Yeah. As, as time goes on um, and during this Trump administration, especially after. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely I see you as an advocate um, and someone who can speak up and speak out both in, through your art and also with your voice yeah. and with your experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there anything else that you want to share with us before we wrap up? Um, yeah, uh, I'm actually just working on a whole bunch of new projects right now. Mm-hmm. Um, being a part of the Arlington Student Film Festival was really great mm-hmm. because it allowed me to get in contact with uh, a whole bunch of new people. And I've had people approach me about, you know, uh, commissioning me for script writing or for See? screenwriting or Look at you. Yeah, direction and stuff like that. And But ultimately, it's about that collaboration and working with new people and new minds and trying new things and making new things and it's just really exciting and I'm doing a whole bunch of new projects right now uh, they're all in the works um, but yeah uh, ultimately just a final note about my short film one in five thousand um, my main goal with this film was to give a voice to basically the voiceless which is uh, in this film Luis the protagonist and uh, semi autobiographically myself and so many uh, immigrant children. Um, and I think that I believe that the film does give them that voice in giving attention to the anxiety and the fear and just the injustice that so many immigrant children are going through right now. Um, and through that, I hope to inspire change and empathy. Uh, so can you tell us where we can find you on social media? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at slow disco. Just the, the O at the end of disco is a zero. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, I just post pictures that I like to edit there and, you know, like covers for film ideas that I have and cool. yeah, things like that. Cool. Cool. Great. Well, thank you, Jose, for in- for coming and talking to thank us. Thank you so much for having me. Definitely. Definitely. You are listening to WERA 96.7 FM, Arlington, Virginia. This is your girl Yazzie Speaks on Millennial Minds. Till next time, peace. <laughs>